0: Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. And it's just the two of us tonight. It felt weird saying that because that's always Danny doing the intro. Uh, I should have come up with something, you know, a little different, I think. But, uh, you know, maybe we should have like a marching band and (laughs) cymbals crashing and and all that sort of thing. But Rachel, what's going on with you? Anything uh, paranormal this week? I did a little mini investigation in the quarry. Yes. uh, Where uh, a couple of people have passed away in, in the uh in the past and yep. we we had a lot of good success with the spirit box we had a lot of voices coming through connected with two males and a female yeah and yes. uh, we're just going to wait for tony you know and his keen ears to uh see what he picked up but exactly. it was inter- it was interesting uh we don't do do too many outdoor uh paranormal investigations so it was kind of kind of neat the fireflies were out the mosquitoes were out oh and, yeah uh, <laughs> And the crazy homeless guy that lives in the bush back there, he yep. wasn't out, so that's good. Yep. <laughs> and the other thing we, we didn't see was any mysterious mists back Uh-oh. there, did, did we? No. No. And uh, <laughs> that brings us to our guest tonight, all the way from episode 114, Mr. Travis Watson, uh, author of Phantom Black Dogs, joins us once again. He has two books out. Uh, he's been a busy guy. And he has a book that we're going to focus on mainly tonight called Mysteries in the Mist. And uh, Travis, I will let you take it away and tell us what that's all about.
1: First of all, thank you for bringing me on to the show again. I always appreciate the opportunity to come and, and speak to people's listeners because this is one of the fun parts of my job. <laughs> you know? I love the opportunity to you know get to sit down with people who are... You know, into various uh, aspects of the paranormal and uh, and and chat with them about some of the crazy stuff I've discovered in my research. Um, so Mysteries in the Mist was a product of a number of, of different feeds in my life, personal and professional. And. Um, I had had a discussion with another podcaster about uh, various signs that you might see around the paranormal incursion, you know, and you get things like uh, Jenny Randall's Oz effect where you get that, uh, you know, person has a feeling something's going on. Um, You get the silence, I call it the silence, you know, where everything just gets totally quiet and then you get some form of time distortion. Um, this particular individual was talking about uh, anomalous lights being associated with a lot of paranormal incursions and some other things. And I was thinking we were talking about the Phantom Black Dog book that you mentioned earlier, Phantom Black Dogs: Walkers of the Liminal Way. And it occurred to me that there are several stories in that book about uh, it, black dogs, you know, seeming to manifest from the fog. And uh, so I got thinking about that, and I wondered to myself, I, I wonder if maybe you know, fogs and mist could be a sign of paranormal incursion. Um, I had had a friend when I was much younger, back in my 20s, many, many, many moons ago, um, who'd had a, a strange experience with a mirror and fogging up of a mirror and actually feeling attracted into the mirror, who told the story that, uh, you know, told me the story later, and it really uh, changed his attitudes about some things and got him not doing some of the things he had been doing. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. And as I said, I had encountered some of these mist phenomena in the uh, in Phantom Black Dog research. So I decided that once I got done with the research for Phantom Black Dogs, I was gonna look into this. Oh my goodness, <laughs> did I fall down a rabbit hole? Um, <laughs> as it turns out, almost any aspect of the paranormal you, can't, you care to name has some, uh, some relationship to uh, fogs and mists. Now in some circumstances, it seems that those things are naturally occurring, and that you know whatever this being or creature or whatever might be, you know, is, is simply appearing out of fog. Um, for instance, uh, there's several dogman or man wolf encounters that occur where there is a, a fog, and and this creature comes out of the fog. But then you go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum where the fog or the mist, the cloud is actually the aspect of the paranormal, where you get strange effects happening as a result of contact with these clouds. Um, And the thing that I've been stressing to people over and over and over again throughout all the podcasts that I've done for this show is if you, as an investigator, come into contact with a cloud that is an unnatural color, be forewarned, you know, that those things are associated with paranormal phenomena of varying sorts, including up to and including teleportation. Um, And so, you know, be careful, folks, you know, don't just go wandering into one of these things because you don't know where you're going to end up. And, and I mean that in all seriousness, because we have stories in the book about people who drive into one of these things and literally end up thousands of kilometers away. Um, so, you know, if you if you encounter a cloud that's got a funny color to it, probably better to just back off and observe because um, you don't know where you might end up. <laughs> that, that
0: sure beats uh, the gas prices, though.
1: <laughs> yeah 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 that's oh. true i mean if you want to to transport yourself from argentina to mexico then go find yourself a, a bizarre colored cloud and drive into
0: it and you might get lucky yeah as long as you end up somewhere nice right tropical <laughs> i don't think i have a problem with yeah.
1: that <laughs> yeah well i mean in one of the cases that that happened though the individual was so shaken by it that um you know he had some some serious uh um uh, you know, mental psychological effects to it, later ended up coming down with uh, cancer. And there's no way of knowing whether that's related to the the experience or not, but eventually ended up taking his own life. So, I mean, one of the things that you find as you do research in these things is that encounters with these phenomena often, you know, alter people's uh, perceptions and way of looking at life In a profound way, sometimes in a good way, and sometimes in a traumatic, um, you know, PTSD sort of way. So, um, you know, I, I, having read some of these stories, I like I said, I'm I'm always I'm I I would prefer to see people err on the side
0: of caution. (laughs) Now, in your research for the book, uh, did you actually have any like you said? you know, when you're looking at these stories and and possibly this gentleman from Argentina, you know, ending up in Mexico, uh, might be something that's been told and retold. Did you reach out to people and say, Hey, if you have any encounters, let me know. Did you get any like real first hand one-on-one stories about, the these mists? I haven't yet.
1: Um, okay. I have, I have put out some, you know, I, cause I, I feel there's probably way more stories than, in fact, I know there's way more stories because I've found some more in the meantime, uh, doing research for another book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel that there's probably a book, too, out there somewhere uh, about this phenomena. Um, I haven't had anybody reach out to me yet. Uh, my specialty specialty is, is really kind of going back into the archives and saying, Hey, look, John Keel found this really weird story about so-and-so, or, um, you know, uh, a couple of these teleportation stories come from old UFO review magazines. There's one particular researcher who was really interested in this phenomenon and found all these stories about, you know, people encountering clouds and, and being teleported. Um, you know, of course, uh, i I've, Anybody who's read any of my work knows I'm a big Linda Godfrey fan. Um, so, uh, you know, some of my research comes from, uh, some of my stories come from uh, from, from her books. Um, but I really like to go back to uh, researchers that people either haven't heard of or haven't heard of in a long time. Um, you know, the boards, for instance, out of out of Great Britain, Janet and Colin Board have written some fantastic books. Uh, Things like alien animals um, that have some good stories that had, you know, mist and fogs and clouds involved in them. Um, Jenny Randalls, who I mentioned earlier, is a a UFO researcher out of of the UK that, again, some people probably heard of. Some people who are interested in the UFO field, but uh, may not be familiar with her work, such as time, Time Storms, which is a fantastic book. Um, so I like to go into some of these older uh, less well-known uh, less well documented or less not what well, they're well documented but that people haven't documented or used as references a lot um, and, and use those stories to um, uh, to fill a lot of my books um, I am starting to get contacts from people who said oh yeah that happened to me and um, i've had a, a couple of people that contacted me about black dog stories since the phantom black dog book came
0: out oh wow well, that's good um i've actually uh and you can use this story and contact me you know on the later date if you want to use it and get some more detail i've actually had a, a strange encounter with a mist okay. um, and it was in the daylight mm-hmm. which was strange a uh, lot of these are yeah, about four. I want to say three or four years ago, my son and I uh, were hunting uh, rough to grouse uh, up north, north of Perry Sound, which about which about two and a half, three hours north of Toronto. Hey,
1: I'm, Kitch- was- I'm in Kitchener, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, so there's these beautiful snowmobile snowmobile trails that in the summer obviously aren't used because uh, you know, or in the fall because there's no snow. But uh, as we were walking the trails. I noticed on two different occasions a grayish brown mist went across the path in front of me. And it it wasn't smoke, it wasn't fog. I mean, it was a beautiful uh, October or September day. I I don't remember the the exact month, but it's sunny, it's warm. uh, And I looked and I could see it kind of go across. it moved pretty quickly and there was no and I and I took a mental note there was no wind or anything and it almost seemed like the second one that went by which was a little bit later was almost identical to the first one and it had a bit of a slant to it and uh my son didn't notice because he's too busy looking at squirrels and chipmunks and, and everything else and I'm looking for you know grouse and uh yeah, it was such a weird thing, and I kind of like at first. I don't know. It was something I kind of kept to myself for quite a while because I didn't really know what to make of it, and and uh, because it was in the daytime, and you know, and then you know, your head starts to go down that rabbit hole of mm-hmm. oh, maybe it, maybe it's a, a sasquatch that's cloaked, or <laughs> maybe, it, or maybe it's a uh, uh, a forest elemental. That's crossing your path, or something else, but it, it almost seemed like it had like a uh, an intelligence to it, okay, and it wasn't just like a random thing. And I, so, I think I think it wanted me to see it, uh huh. You know, so yeah, that's it was really- so
1: often the case with the whatever the intelligence is behind these these paranormal phenomena. It seems like it wants you to see whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so,
0: did this mist have a shape? It kind of looked, it kind of looked like it had a, a humanoid type shape to it, like from, okay. from the ribs up. Okay. And, and that was the other thing. I was like, well, maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me. And you know, you're always, uh, you're always, sorry, <laughs> Rachel, are you sorry. seeing things moving around your dining room? No. No, I saw you. I saw you darting your head around earlier. If you listen to enough of our podcasts, we get stuff happen all the time. We get all sorts of stuff. So,
1: if I recall, the last time we talked, we had uh, had some some technical issues when we started uh, discussing UFOs. Oh, that's um, right. I fully expect that uh, things will sometimes go wonky because you know we deal in strange stuff.
0: Uh, getting getting back to on track here. Um, you mentioned before about time distortions with, mm-hmm. and associated with the mists. Is this uh, is there one thing that, that seems to be prevalent in most uh, encounters?
1: Well, um, what I was talking about was um, Jenny Randall's Oz effect. And one of the right. things that she notes a lot in, in UFO cases, because that was specifically what she was talking about, is is that time distortion, missing time, or you know, time seemed to pass quicker, time seems to pass slower, uh, that kind of thing? Um, not everybody who comes in contact with one of these myths has a time distortion uh, issue, uh, but a lot of them do. A lot of people do have uh, sort of the Oz effect thing that happens, to where they either come up missing time, time moves more quickly, time moves more slowly. Um, yeah, there's a, a great story in the fairy section of the book. Um, two young ladies are uh, going camping in a, and this was this actually took place in Canada too. Um, trying to remember, uh, Nova Scotia or New Brunswick, some somewhere like that. I, I don't recall the exact part, but they have gone camping with their parents. They got there, they uh, uh, you know got the camp set up and said, "Hey, can we go to the beach?" And mom and dad were like, "Sure, go ahead." You know, beautiful clear day. Um, they go tro- trooping off toward the beach, and the closer they get to the beach, this fog comes down, um, and suddenly they have that kind of eerie feeling that something's not quite right, and uh, you know they're seeing movement off in the, in the brush and, and, and so forth, but they're not really seeing what's causing that movement. They get down to the beach, and the, the beach is pretty much socked in by this point. The story takes place in the 80s and, you know, this one of the young ladies sees this man standing there and um, she goes up to him and says, hi, you know, like no response at all. The individual just stares at her, at which point she really starts to get the creeps and decides that she and her sister need to get out of there. So they exit the beach and they take this path. And it's a classic example of being fairy led. They just have no idea where they are. They wander for you know, for a, p- a period of time and eventually come out on a road that the, uh, the, the sister says, oh, I, know, I know this place. This, if we go this way, we'll get back to the campsite. They get back to the campsite and their perception of time is that they've been gone for about an hour. Their parents are freaking out because they had been gone for an hour and they could or for 5 hours and they couldn't find them at all nowhere the mother has gone up and down the trail to the beach a number of times and didn't see them and the only way that they could have gotten to the uh, the road area that they described that that led them back down to their to their parking spot is through dense dense brush and forest that would have scratched them up and, and so forth but they were okay they were just tired um, so, you know, again, you have that fog, you have the whole uh, misperception of time, you know, you have a possible fairy being, why that particular place, who knows, except that all along the Atlantic coast there, particularly in Newfoundland and, and uh Nova Scotia and so forth. There's, uh, you know, it, it really intense fairy lore there. Um, so one wonders if the, the the folks that came over from the old world didn't bring their their faith folk with them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Newf- Newfoundland has a, a, yeah, yeah. quite a culture of fairies as well.
1: Yeah, New- Newfoundland and Nova Scotia both. Um, in fact, uh, one of the, the things that I, for the Canadian Monsters and Mysteries book that I just released, I did a do a section on fairies because fairies are kind of my jam. I love that stuff. I have a whole chapter that's mostly devoted to, uh, uh, Barbara Rieti wrote a, a doctoral dissertation on fairy lore in Newfoundland. Um, and talk about some of the stuff that she discovered interviewing you know, uh, interviewing uh, people in, in Newfoundland and uh, talking to them about their ferry encounters, the stories that they had of the ferry and so forth. There's really interesting stuff in there.
0: A lot of times, you know, the stories you read about mists showing up or a fog is described as a cloud, even, uh, uh, a lot of them are associated with UFOs. Uh, mm-hmm. The Bermuda Triangle. You've heard a lot of reports oh, yeah. where, where this fog forms. Uh, you've had these ghost ships that come out of the mm-hmm. fog. Uh, I believe there's one out in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, mm-hmm. somewhere that uh, yeah. will ap- appear out of a uh, out of a mist, and it's a full apparition. Uh, hundreds of people have seen it over the years. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know it's the, the rabbit holes just go mm-hmm. on and on and on, and it's like. It's almost like a portal or mm-hmm. a, or a tear in the in the fabric of, of whatever, and and this mist appears and UFOs appear, uh, uh, ghosts appear, uh, the, the 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 phantom black dogs, you, you know, you name fairies, you name it. <laughs> so there must be there must be some uh, defining correlation somewhere between all of it. Yeah, you know? I mean.
1: As I said, um, I think that some of the fogs that we see in some of these stories are just that, they're fog. You know, it, it happened to be, you know, it was a dark sure. and stormy night, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, and especially um, if, they come, if they come from the UK, right? Because they, yeah, they, yeah. do, they do get that kind of weather.
1: But um, that, you know, in a significant number of the cases that I talk about in the book, you know, you're talking about UFOs. There's the question of, is the UFO coming out of the fog or is the UFO creating the fog? Um, great story out of australia young lady is uh, vacationing on the seashore on a, a, a in a house that overlooks the sea so she's looking down at the sea she notices this beautiful pink cloud off in the off on the horizon she makes a note of it kind of make, makes a mental note of it and she looks about somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes later and the cloud is closer to her and she sees a structured craft sitting on top of the cloud, <laughs> you know, your classic flying saucer type, uh, type of uh, craft. Um, and as she watches, this thing comes up to the to the shore, and the cloud dissipates. And then this this UFO sits down, sets down, and these humanoid creatures get out, little short humanoid creatures, right? And uh, they're looking off at the ocean. And as they look off, uh, they're sending some kind of a signal, apparently. Uh, I don't remember whether it was a flare. It seems like it was a flare, something along that line. And they see off, she sees off in the distance, uh, something you know, rise up a little bit out of the sea and, and signal back, you know, and then these humanoids retreat back into their little, you know, cloud covered, you know, saucer and fly off toward this, this thing, uh, toward this other craft, whatever it was out in the ocean, which always makes me wonder, it's like, okay, if we're talking about advanced technological civilizations that are bridging light years worth of space to get here, why the hell can't they find each other once they get here? <laughs> you know? I mean, it just, it boggles the mind. You see Mm -hmm. these weird things where, you know, these little dudes are getting out and, and, you know, putting water hoses into lakes to to suck up water, or, you know, they got to climb down a ladder to get down to the lavender field and do stuff. It's like, advanced tech but we got to use ladders and stuff Uh, I don't get it
0: but anyway (laughs) you do you do make a good point there you know I never never thought about that which
1: is the thing that always convinces me that there's something more to the UFO thing than there's something weirder going on than just extraterrestrials not saying that that's not a possibility because certainly there there's plenty of opportunity for life to develop in this in this universe just that I, it just seems to me that there's, there's something stranger going on too. Mm -hmm. Um, So you got that, you have circumstances like like the, one of the UFO stories in California, where the UFO sits down in the middle of the road and people get out to look at this thing and this fog envelops them and they have kind of noxious fumes and everybody's getting away. It's almost like the UFO is using chemical agents to keep people away from the craft. A lot of these fogs are either natural or you get this sort of circumstance where it's almost like it's a a, something that they're that whatever it is ufos or phantom black dogs or whatever using for cover um and then you get the really weird ones where you get portal phenomena um and then the question is okay is the cloud the portal or is the portal opening and the cloud stuff is coming out from wherever the portal leads to (laughs) you know which is a whole other thing to, to, to think about. Um, and you know, I don't have answers to those questions. Um, all I can do is tell you fun stories about some of the really weird stuff I've come across in the, in the research. So, um, but yeah, I definitely think there's a correlation between, uh, these mist and fogs and clouds and, and what we might call portal or window phenomena, because it seems like, these things show up so much that we have to assume that they accompany uh, whatever way some of these creatures, things, UFOs, whatever it is, you know, manifests in our physical reality.
0: Earlier on, you mentioned uh, the dogman phenomena mm-hmm. uh, or the man-wolf. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've heard lots of stories. Uh, I haven't heard anything about any mists uh, <coughs> uh, associated with them. Is this something you've been finding? Like, are there other cryptids like Sasquatch, uh, uh, Wendigo's? That sort of thing that are also say, associated with this, or is it sort of a more of a, a Dogman phenomenon? I
1: really, I didn't go. Oh, I'm honestly, you know, I, I didn't go down the Wendigo rabbit hole <laughs> um, because, uh, I mean, Chad Lewis has written a really good book on on Wendigo lore that. Uh, I've read. I don't recall seeing a lot of fog stories in that because most of it was just too scary to worry about anyway. (laughs) The interesting thing to me is that uh, when we talk about Sasquatch, for instance, um, we have a couple of stories out of Great Britain. Uh, The Grey Man of Machtuy, who's a a being, spirit, creature, whatever, that inhabits the second largest mountain in Scotland. And then there's a, a uh, a, a being in Wales called Monarch of the Mists, um, both of which have lore attached to them. Um, the Grey Man has some, some, some stories. Not many people actually see the Grey Man, though. Uh, what happens is that uh, these mountaineers will go up on Mahdui, this this great mountain, and they'll be booting around up there. They'll get fogged in. And then they'll start to experience that classic phenomena that all the Sasquatch researchers get excited about over here, you, your footsteps, there'll be stones thrown or stones moved around or whatever. And then when this phenomena gets close to people, they panic. They, they literally panic and they will fly down the side of this mountainside, which I'll get back to in a minute. There's one story that I encountered where the guy was, it was a, uh, during World War II, if I remember right, or just after World War II. Food was short, whatever it was. This fellow had taken his revolver with him when he went up to um, went up the mountain um, in hopes that he might bag supper while he was up there. So he's uh, climbing the mountain, so classic thing. The fog comes in, um, you know, starts to have all these weird things happening around him, the sound of footsteps and so forth. And of course, he's conversant with the stories from other mountaineers from that area. This guy is a, you know, is a search and rescue person who helped down pilots in Scotland and all this sort of stuff. He's very experienced outdoors. So he's, uh, you know, he's getting a little frightened himself. Um, he's heard the stories um, and he sees a, a large humanoid figure coming at him out of the fog um, and opens fire on it. Of course, there's no no effect Um So he takes off just like everybody else and and makes his way down the mountain. Now, the interesting thing to me is this. One of the things that search and rescue people will tell you if you are fogged in somewhere is don't move because you can't see where you're going. Now, multiply that by 20 if you're on a mountainside. All of the people in these stories just bail off the side of this steep, rugged Scottish mountain. And every one of them made it back all right. So, uh, yeah, it, it, and there's just there's that's almost a, a, a paranormal phenomena in and of itself, because there's just so many ways you could get hurt going down the side of a mountain in a panic. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, and and all of these people made it down and, and, you know, and were able to tell their story later. That's the, the, the gray man so is a cor- sort of a Sasquatch story because you get this large humanoid shadow coming out of the fog. The Monarch of the Mists in Wales is more of a legend Um, said that this this uh, this being the spirit or whatever it is, I I kind of think of it as more of an earth spirit, actually, but um, that this being or spirit or whatever um, doesn't like climbers going in specific sections of the mountains that it has in its in its purview. Um, so there's stories that, you know, this thing is has chased climbers off the sides of mountains, but there's one good witness sighting uh, that happened in a town in Wales that uh, I wouldn't even begin to try to pronounce the name of because, you know, Welsh has lots of continents and no consonants and no vowels. <laughs> um but this fellow's, you know, factory worker, industrial kind of guy, you know, blue collar worker sort of dude. He's out walking his spaniel one day. And um, as classically happens in these stories, the, um, uh, the dog starts to freak out and, you know, is hiding behind him and, you know, under his feet and so forth. He looks off into the brush. He's walking in a park somewhere, looks off into the brush and he sees what he describes it as it looked like a gorilla or maybe it was a Yeti. He calls it a Yeti, right? Um, large, bipedal, you know, gorilla-type creature. Um, and this shakes him up so bad he calls the local constabulary, which is my favorite part of the story because their crime and prevention officer is quoted in the paper as saying, oh, well, you know, we take these Yeti reports very seriously and, and we'll be increasing patrols in this neighborhood to to, uh, to ensure the safety of our citizens. <laughs> it's like... How often do you get Yeti reports that you have a ready-made response to this? In,
0: in Wales of all places. In Wales, yeah. yeah,
1: in Wales. Now, you know, the Welsh mountains are, are you know, to my understanding pretty spooky place sometimes but uh you know I, I wouldn't think that the the local constabulary of a town in wales would be getting lots of reports of bipedal apes running
0: around. Mm. there's your next book
1: yeah the there you go the, uh, i gotta yeti. go to wales now right
0: the, the yeti of wales
1: I actually i'm actually working on um, sasquatches in canada because um, everybody thinks that Sasquatch only only exists in British Columbia and you'd be amazed
0: uh, oh yeah <laughs> Ontario gets tons and tons Ontario
1: of gets some uh, Manitoba has a ton
0: because
1: mm-hmm. um, all the First Nations people out there are seeing you know these critters running around but that's right I'm getting ahead of myself
0: so. Well. Ask them if there's any fog or mist uh, associated with Yeah, this. I've That's been sure. looking at
1: it now. So what I was going to say is one of the things that that struck me, though, in doing the research is once you get over to the United States and you start w- looking at the accounts that come from flesh and blood researchers in the Sasquatch, they never mention the weather. I mean, I, I've read, I can't tell you how many Sasquatch books I've read, you know, between the Canadian Monsters and Mysteries and the research I'm doing now and and the research for Mysteries in the Mist, they very, very seldom mention the weather. Now, you will hear occasionally stories of uh, people who comment on the silence. That's right. Yeah, there's supposed to be a Sasquatch in the area because it's really, really super quiet, right? Um, but I, I have yet to find uh, a, you know, I think the the best I've I've gotten is you know somebody mentioning that you know they were in a hunting blind and it was rain. For the most part, the weather doesn't even seem to register with people. Um, so we could have Sasquatches materializing out of the mist all over the place and have no idea. <laughs> you know? So I'm kind of kind of hoping that I can get some folks to talk about the Sasquatches in Canada and you know get some more idea about the weather effects and stuff.
0: I think I might have mentioned this story to you the last time you're on the podcast and I haven't had any success in finding out the exact location, but uh, it is a cryptid story and it is associated with mist uh, and it happened in, D- in Dufferin County, which isn't too far from here. It's about 20 minutes away. And uh, I won't say who told me the story, but it, because of their profession, uh, there <laughs> is a police officer yeah. who, who came across this. Uh, Cops real- have great stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, they're, but they can't tell them, unfortunately. Yeah, if you
1: can't, if you can get them to talk, though.
0: Yeah, uh, if, you, you, if you get them around, the, out, yeah, you get them around the campfire officer, with, with a couple of beers in them, and yep, they'll start singing. Yep, yep, yep.
1: take them <laughs> but, out to uh, the to the local pub or whatever, and yeah, but, you know, uh, you'll you'll get an earful.
0: This guy I've known forever. He and I used to be security guards together like 25 mm-hmm. years ago, and we both went on different paths. And he told me that they received a call one morning. Uh, it was really early, like 5:30 six six a.m. Uh, the sun was just starting to, to come up, and there was a uh, this couple. Uh, they're like in their late fifties, early sixties. Uh, both of them get up at the same time, making their coffee, getting their breakfast ready, and they're both looking out the back window, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know the kitchen, the, the window above the sink. And I guess they have uh, a pretty good property where you know it's like acreage behind them, and then there's <laughs> uh, a forested area, and they both described. These humanoid figures, if uh, you ever seen the movie The Dark Crystal, you know, the, the creatures that kind of walk on the stilts, mm-hmm. their legs are stilts and their arms are stilts. Uh, they said they saw several of these weird looking creatures that look like from the movie The Dark Crystal walking across their back property, the field, through this heavy mist that appeared. Hmm. And the two of them got freaked out so bad. They called the police. Mm -hmm. Uh, An officer showed up and he was probably like, oh man, what have they been smoking all night? Mm -hmm. Right. And he did take the report because he has to. Right. And uh, I've been, you know, it's a fascinating story and I've never heard of anything like that, like that type of uh, creature. And, but the one thing that sticks out is they said this fog, formed and these creatures stumbled yep. across, across the the back way and i i would love and i've i've bugged him several times like don't 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 tell me the exact house just tell me what road it's on
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i'll you know i just want to, to
1: drive by there
0: yeah, try <laughs> to use my intuition and knock on a few doors and say hey yeah. you ever seen anything weird in your backyard but <laughs> but it's such a cool yeah. story and uh, and he's and he said uh you know it's a very normal couple you know white collar you know, not the type of people that you would expect to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, make have, a, a have a vision like of weird
1: things in their backyard, yes. yeah.
0: and uh, but but the fog certainly stood out.
1: Yeah, uh, well, in the Canadian Monsters and Mysteries book, I have a chapter about white humanoids that, um, it's probably not the same critter, but you know, you get these tall, thin, white, weird. Things running around in Canada too. Um, right. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, wh- one of the things I discovered because I, you know, I moved to Kitchener in 2020, I guess, um, right in the middle of the pandemic, of course. Um, but being the person I am, I had to to find out if, uh, you know, you know what kind of weirdness there was up here, um, and that's what sent me down the rabbit hole that produced monsters and mysteries, Canadian monsters and mysteries. So, uh, yeah, there's. There's definitely some interesting stuff up here. Yeah, I mean, talking about police officers, I mean, I have a poltergeist story from when I was a security guard many moons ago um, that I never was able to explain. Uh, we, uh, my, my partner and I were on duty shortly before Christmas. So the hotel was, that I was working in uh, was deserted. Um, there was very few guests in the hotel. Um, we got a noise complaint from the floor uh, 14th floor, I think, uh, been a long time. <laughs> I was in my twenties then too. Partner and I responded up there and, and the guy says, I don't know. You guys got construction going on? What the hell? Right. It's like, cause there's this banging noise on my walls and we're like, okay, dude's been smoking crack. Cause there's nothing going on in the hotel. It's dead as a doorstop, right? There's nothing going anywhere. We're standing in the room when all of a sudden we hear this bam, bam, bam on the wall. Uh, next to his bed I was like son of a gun we searched the rooms next to him we searched the rooms above him we searched the rooms across from him and on all the floors we I we literally covered he had a master key we could go wherever we wanted right and there wasn't anybody in the hotel (laughs) we literally searched everywhere that we could think of to look you know, including the pipe chases where all the plumbing and stuff went,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the 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 knocking would go from one place to another. You know, we'd be in one room and it would go to another room, and then we'd go to that room and we go and it would go upstairs. And we think we were going to get smart and leave one of us in one place and one of us in the other place and go someplace else entirely. Never did figure out what caused it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it was just one of those unsolved mysteries, like, you know, the ghost in the ballroom and, uh, which was a, that wasn't a firsthand thing. That was a secondhand thing from another officer, but yeah, there we were, we we're chasing this thing all over the place for probably an hour before, before it subsided. And we didn't have any more complaints after that. Hmm. <laughs> just, just that, I don't know if that guy was particularly stressed that he was, you know, manifesting spontaneous psychokinetic energy or what.
0: Uh, you never know. It's uh, it's amazing what uh, people can manifest as yeah. well.
1: Yeah, no mist in that one, though.
0: <laughs> no, no. You've got Mysteries in the Mist and uh, Canadian Monsters. Yeah, Canadian Monsters and Mysteries. Okay, and that's just, they're both kind of come out at the same time.
1: Uh, uh, mysteries in the Mist has been out since, I think, February um, of this year. And uh, Canadian Monsters and Mysteries came out just recently, like okay. in the past two or three weeks.
0: Okay, let's spend a few minutes uh, on, on the latest book there. Um, okay. And we'll probably get you back for a more <laughs> in depth uh, conversation uh, because I love my cryptids as well. Oh uh you know it's such a it's such a fascinating topic you know ghosts kind of get dry after a while i'm not even a big ufo fan but i do love my monsters monsters are great monsters
1: are the bomb Uh, yeah
0: i I could read monster lore all day long (laughs) is there anything specific to canada uh, that you've discovered uh in the way of our cryptids that really made you go oh what, what the heck is going on here
1: so uh, I'll ask you, have you ever heard of a guy named John Worms? No. Okay.
0: So uh,
1: Worms is a cryptozoologist who uh, operates out of Manitoba. not sure if he's still alive or not, honestly. Um, but um, he wrote a book called Strange Creatures Seldom Seen, that if you want to get like a overview of just really weird stuff in, in the Manitoba area, um for amongst the first nations people in manitoba uh this is the book to read um and you can only get it uh it's basically he sells it through his uh, website okay um you know i got a pdf version of it so i could use it for research for the book um (laughs) my favorite my absolute favorite thing in this and it's just because it's so weird Originally got into all of this because he was exploring these uh, tunnels that were appearing in First Na- on, on First Nations land, and they were, you know, three feet in diameter, smooth sided, you know, and traveled for some distance, in, you know, into the ground and then would come back out someplace else. So he's talking to the apparently he has good contacts within the the, the indigenous people in the area. Um, he's talking to some people. And he says. What is making these tunnels? Because they had they had uh, ruled out you know natural causes of various sorts, um, you know man-made drilling and that kind of stuff. And the native people told him flat out, "Oh, it's the giant snakes." <laughs> He's like, "What?" It's like, yeah, the giant snakes crawl in there and hibernate in the winter. And they're very blasé about it. It's like, you know, of course, we have giant snakes in Canada. You know, now, if you talk to herpetologists, who are the people who are supposed to know about these things, they'll tell you that there's no snake in Canada but Canada longer than maybe three or four feet, right?
0: Even that's pushing it.
1: And that's big. That's a, yeah. that's a gigantic snake. Yeah, that's we're talking for, snakes for that Canada. are 20 feet. We're talking snakes that are Titanoboa size, you know, the 20 feet plus. And the natives are very blasé. Oh yeah, they have these giant snakes and they live in these, in these tunnels. He said, well, how did the tunnels get there in the first place? Well, you know, the giant beavers dig them. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, you have got to be kidding. They are not kidding. There are a number of reports in this book. Of people who've encountered beavers the size of bears, black bears, big wow. black bears. Um, and so much, you know, and, and again, very blasé. It's like, oh yeah, you know, there's these giant beavers. If you go out this way, you know, you'll find lodges that are that are the size of human houses. And there's a picture in the book of him standing that somebody's actually made a statue of one of these things, right? Um, There's a picture of him in in the book standing next to the statue, and it comes up, you know, the beaver sitting up on its hind legs on its, you know, big giant tail, and it comes up to his shoulder, right? He's like, ah, yeah, and there are tons of these stories uh, from various people throughout various First Nations community in Manitoba, you know, people who hunt and fish and trap, not just, you know, to supplement their income, to but to feed their families, right? They know the wildlife in that area. And they're telling John Worms there's giant beavers out there and, you know, they you know, they're they're rare but you you see them sometimes. You know, Worms has collected all of these stories and finally one day he see, he says, "Okay, I'm just on a lark basically. He says, "I'm going to go camp out next to a river where there's been a recent sighting and see if I can see a giant beaver. Son of a gun if you didn't see one. He has a sighting report in the book where he saw one of these big beavers that was, you know, seven or eight something feet long and you know had a head the size of a football. And he's like, I couldn't believe it. You know, it just it, it just dumbfounded him completely because he he wasn't sure what to make of these reports. But after seeing these things, it made perfect sense to him. The beavers were digging the holes and the snakes were smoothing them out. <laughs> because you also had reports of these titanic snakes up there again first nations people first nations firefighters you know on on uh, you know reservation reserve land who were encou- who encountered snakes that were 20 30 feet long and you know considered you know chopping them in half with a with a, an axe a fire axe and decided not to because the elders told them, don't mess with these things just let them be you know they're part of the mystery just leave them be
0: well you know while, while you're talking about the giant beaver i, I googled mm-hmm. it and they used to exist like mm-hmm. like during the past map.
1: reedies ohioansis or something like that yeah, and yeah the... there was actually a species of giant beaver um that that existed uh, you know and it's entirely possible that there's a relic population of the damn things up in manitoba um Who knows? you know I, Otherwise, they're they're you know we have like uh did you ever watch the BBC show Primeval? No. Okay, so the show about uh, they had these things they called anomalies. They were basically portals that would open up, and these prehistoric creatures would come out, right? Um, and they were chasing them around, trying to get them back into the into the portal. It was a, it was a fun show, but um, you know. I mean, the other possibility is you have portals or anomalies of some kind, some time distortion opening and letting these creatures in, mm-hmm. um, and then maybe back out again. Who knows? Yeah, um, for sure. So, so, but yeah, yeah, there actually is a species of giant beaver, and and they're relatively recent. If I, if I'm remembering my facts right, they they've only been extinct for you know 10,000 years or something like that.
0: Yeah, like like around the woolly mammoth times, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, and and Canada has one of the has, I guess, the largest uh, Lazarus species in, in the Americas. Um, it's called the wood bison. Um, they the wood bison was believed to this is the largest land animal in North America. OK, I mean, moose are taller, but bison are heavier. So, these creatures were believed to be extinct by the early 1900s um, due to brucellosis and uh, overhunting, of course. Um, 1957, an Alberta forestry officer is flying in an airplane uh, over a remote region of, of, uh, of Alberta and spots a herd of about 200 of these things tromping through the forest. Yeah, they're supposed to be extinct. So if we can hide wood bison in the forests of Canada, I think we can hide pretty much anything.
0: <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Rachel, anything to share with uh, Mr. Watson? I was I was I was sitting here listening. I'm looking at your space, <clears throat> Travis, and it's like mm-hmm. your room is packed full. <laughs> You've got a lot of spirits with you. <laughs>
1: uh, that's just, not surprising.
0: Oh, so drained. I like just, I'm just sitting here and I just feel like all my energy is being sucked out of me. So I'm like, wow, you have a lot of activity. Oh. You. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I, as part of my spiritual practice, you know, um, make friends with my, with my local spirits. So, uh, it doesn't bother me. Like I said, um, uh, I certainly don't mean to, to, you know, create a, a a negative situation, but you know, to me, it's perfectly natural.
0: (laughs) You, you welcome it, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, on the one hand, I love talking about all this stuff and, and, you know, theorizing about it and it could be this and it could be that, but I mean, more than anything, I, I enjoy the mystery of it. I like the fact that there are some things that scientists can't explain. Exactly. To me, that's
0: fun. <laughs> you know? and, and you know what? If we could explain everything, where would the mm-hmm. where would the you know yeah where would where would the fun be then? Right? Yeah, I think we'd invent things. Yeah, maybe <laughs>
1: if we if we could explain everything, we we start looking we'd, for, we'd for be, weird
0: stuff. We'd be manifesting. Manifesting the is the word, of, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> well, there's there's the whole thing too. Is is like if you take away the mystery from people, um, I seriously believe that they will start to create thought forms, what some people call tulpas. I don't like to use that because it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a Tibetan uh, usage. And it's kind of culturally appropriative to me. It's like thought form is a, is a, a terminology that's, or servitor is a terminology that's been used in the Western magical traditions for quite some time. There's no reason not to use that. Right. But yeah, I mean, slender man, perfect example, you know, you have, you know, you have three things that you need for, for, you know, a thought form. You have to have a desire, you have to have will, and you have to have something to, to power it, right? So you had all these people writing about this thing, you know, they wanted it to be real, you know, they, they loved scaring the crap out of themselves and each other with this thing, you know, and so this powerful emotion gets channeled into this thing, people start to see it. You know, so I'm firmly convinced that even if science tomorrow said, "Okay, we have an explanation for everything," you know, humankind would start creating things that, Mm -hmm. you know, the Philip experiments, another classic example
0: of that, or or the Montauk experiment, experiment too, right? Where they created created this monster. So yeah, Travis, uh, you go by the pen name W T Watson. I do. Uh, you have several books out. Hunting the Beast—that's oh, okay. actually a novel.
1: That is a fiction piece. But I have three uh, nonfiction books right now: uh, Phantom Black Dogs, Walkers of the Liminal Way, which we talked about; uh, Mysteries in the Mist, Mist Fogs and Clouds, and Paranormal, and then um, Canadian Monsters and Mysteries, uh, mm-hmm. which just came out. So, um,
0: <laughs> and I'm sure you're working on something else, and we'll, uh, i am. I we'll, am. Hear, we'll hear from you again in the near future.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 This one's not due till December, though, because I figure I'm going to go way down the rabbit hole in this. Like I said, I'm doing Sasquatch in Canada, but not British Columbia. Um, So uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, like strange things that have been seen in Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's upcoming. Uh, like I said, due in December. So probably come out hopefully in time for Christmas.
0: Right. And they're all, uh, uh, published with beyond the fray, which Mm -hmm. is where, which is where my book, uh, strange happenings and, uh, paranormal investigator story was published as well. And they can all be found on Amazon, Mm -hmm. right? Both a Kindle and paperback.
1: And, uh, they're all available on Kindle unlimited. If you have that subscription.
0: So if anyone's looking for, uh, some Christmas presents down the road or just want want something good to read at the cottage and uh freak yourself out then looking uh, for your beach reading yeah yes (laughs) check them out uh travis thank you once again for being on the show uh always a pleasure uh and i'm sure we'll see you once again rachel anything to add at the last minute there no (laughs) no finally trying to figure out what the heck is up with this guy right that's right and uh shout out to everybody who's listening who's who's kept up with us uh you know we love our listeners like to hear hear from them more often if they could send us an email at phantomfaction at outlook.com or find us on facebook and instagram send us a message and uh, travis once again thank you very much And thank you i really appreciate the, the opportunity Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfactionoutlook.com. At